We all have heard horror stories of how a remodel nearly tore a couple apart, as well as how impactful our environment can be on our state of well-being. Remodels don't have to end in divorce, and we can reflect our true selves in our environment with the right approach. Welcome to Psychotecture. My name is Rachel Melvald, and I'm a psychotherapist and designer. Psychotecture was developed as a methodological approach to ease issues that come up in design challenges, as well as the philosophy on how our environment can reflect our highest selves. Each week, I will interview an expert in the field of design and psychology to shed light on design challenges. I will also have a special series called The Psychotech is In, where I can offer help to those in design intervention need. Welcome to The Psychotech is In, the sensory integration series. We're here today to interview our second guest, Jillian Rose, who is another color expert who has originated the program and assessment tool called the Science of Color. Jillian works with color in an approachable, accessible way where the tool she has created has made the connection of color a more playful one. I'm excited to interview and hear from Jillian. Welcome. I heard about Jillian when I was listening to a webinar that she had conducted a few months ago, and I had just left a Bauhaus color art collection exhibition at the Getty, and it was just synchronicity when I heard Jillian talk about her business, The Science of Color, and I thought, this is just synchronicity. This is perfect. And we finally get her as a guest on our show. So without further ado, I want to introduce Jillian Rose of the Science of Color. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you, Rachel. I am so excited to be talking with you and having done a little bit of research on what you do. And it really seems like we're flying in a similar airspace. That's a really good way to say it, the similar airspace. And as I see with the Nautilus, yes, this stunning photograph behind you of a Nautilus, that is flying in the same space because I have a Nautilus <laughs> on my computer. And as we know, <laughs> this show is about how we feel in our environments, the psychology of how we feel in the environment. And as you are an expert of how we feel in color, the Nautilus is very symbolic, right? What does it mean to you? Well, I mean, to me, it's the epitome of femininity, but it's also the golden section. So it's the perfect ratio, which is another reason I love it. But what's really fascinating about this particular piece, and it's a photograph, and it's mounted on aluminum, and it has a lucite top. It was taken by a graphic artist, his name is Robert LeBeau, and he was a graphic artist, and he happened to be working down near the trade centers during 9-11, and he got out barely with his life, and he made a promise to God that if he survived, he was going to spend the rest of his life photographing beautiful things. And so, you know, on top of seeing it and experiencing it, the story behind it is just as important. Yeah, and that is just it. It's the golden ratio. So as we 
descend into the topic of color and the golden ratio, we look at there's a science of color. And I would love to start off by talking just generally about how you came into this field and your background in the science of color. Be happy to. So I believe that whenever anybody has a specific gift, that it's innate. We're born with it. It's not something that's learned. And one of my earliest color memories is being in pre-K at Montessori school where the teacher was taking her time to explain if we mixed blue paint and yellow paint that we would get green paint. And I still remember my visceral experience of thinking, why is she telling us this? Because I was born being able to look at any color and tell you its makeup. So I knew this, but I didn't know that everyone didn't know this. And then combined with, I was very ill through most of my childhood. And isolated a lot and in hospitals a lot. And so in order to keep myself sane, I had to sort of ignite my creativity. And color came to me and I could see that if I could bathe myself, in colors that made me feel calm, I would feel calm. So combining the sort of physics of color that I can see and my emotional and physiological responses to color that I had some understanding of, I then could see I could do that for other people. And that's sort of what led me. And in my design practice, interior design practice, color was essential to everything. But I never really teased it apart. It just was part of the process. So that's how I came this way. So that's what really is so intriguing to me that even as a child, how we feel in color and what that means to us and how in your time in a hospital where it could be very scary and traumatic, it ended up being a soothing, healing experience and the color was really an instrumental sensory part of that healing for you. Color is within us. I mean, yes, there are external factors and things like that, but truly color is within us. And if you think about it, if you ever, you know, if you just think about your favorite color, whatever that is, and you can feel that experience, you don't have anything tangible in front of you. It's not like you're touching that color. All you're doing is conjuring it up. And I think that speaks to color is in us, meaning it's based on our psychology. It's something we all have. We all have accessible to us and we all can tap into. And I guess that's what leads me to the next question is, to me, it can be very overwhelming to choose color, to look at a palette. Mm-hmm. So if it's in us, can you, I know in your site, you have this great historical timeline of how color was studied and the neuroscience of color. Like, you know, just real quickly, how do you describe that in a neuroscientific way, I guess, how color is in us? Sure. Well, color, our responses to color are psychological, emotional, but they're also physiological. We have physical responses to colors if we allow ourselves to understand that. So color are vibrations, right? They're spectral vibrations. 
that's what we're responding to. That's a stimuli. And there's a part of our brain called the hypothalamus. And it's not a cognitive, it's a reflex. It's telling us whether we want to be near a color or whether we're repelled from a color all the time, 24-7, and we don't even realize it. And which, as a psychotherapist studying trauma work and how our bodies react to trauma, which is very pre-verbal, it's in our system, it's definitely much more of something that you can sense in your body and energetically. And it's not cognitive. Right. So I think that's really important, Jillian, that you highlight that for our listeners, that it's not this cerebral cognitive figuring it out. It's so much more of our soul. It's unconscious. It's really embodied. It's really about, and this is what I do in my practice, it's really about creating an environment to actually let go and feel. And that's not what we're taught. You know, we've been socialized to think of color as good taste or status or even class. That's marketing. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, just as you said, like, color gives us the permission to let go and feel. I automatically, like, felt in my own body, like, ah, like, as I'm looking at the the blues and the purples and the lavender in your background it's to let go and feel and it gives us what as we know in psychotherapy we're trying we're aiming towards where we have the intention of helping people get their feelings online because we know when we connect and feel that it's healing and it's the truth yeah it's your truth. So color not only allows us to feel, and as we know in psychology, our feelings are who we are. And in our embodied sense, that's who we are. That's our authentic self. And color is really that access, that channel, that mirror to that. So I love how you describe that. And I guess it also leads me to see more when you have this understanding of color How did it inform your color system as to how you do your assessment or how do you put it into application? Well, I mean, it's been an evolutionary process for sure. Originally, I didn't really think about it. It was just intuitive for me. You know, I could read people. I could get a sense of what was going on for them. I could get a sense of how I could alter that. I knew what I needed, but I also knew that what I needed had nothing to do with what somebody else needed. And that, I think, is a real issue, whether it's actual interior design or color design, is it's not about you. And so my first reiteration of my color practice actually was a result of 9-11. I was living in New York City, and all essential businesses just stopped. And interior design is a luxury item. It's not, you know, essential. And so I, along with a lot of other people, we instantly lost our livelihood. So I just, I went deep. And what I do when I'm met with, you know, a big issue to delve into is I always go philosophically and then end up going more emotionally. But I start, I started philosophy. Yeah. So, you know, the question of like, well, what am I going to do? 
And what are we going to do as a community? And how are we going to heal? And as soon as I came to the point of how are we going to heal, my childhood kept flooding back to me. And I was like, color, this is what we're going to do. And having worked for a lot of major corporate firms and Fortune 500 clients, typically I was the only woman at the table in these boardrooms when we were making design and color decisions. And men were very quiet when we discussed color. And one of the things I was able to discern is that they're intimidated by it. They think that people are going to judge them about it. They do buy into, as we all do, unless we're taught something else, to buy into these norms of it means that whether you have good taste or not, or whether you have, you know, what class you come from. And so I knew that whatever I did, the first thing I had to do was eliminate the aspect of intimidation. So I ended up picking, selecting 50 paint colors of colors that I knew, you know, very well and in a lot of different contexts. And I thought, I'm going to put them in nail polish bottles because nobody can be intimidated by nail polish. So I got my bottles. Like in those days, they had the steel ball bearings in them. I went through all that process, put the paint in it. I bought a groovy aluminum camera case with the foam insert. I cut two squares of 25 holes and I put the bottles in upside down with their paint showing, you know, from the glass. And off I went, like Mary Kay, you know, <laughs> and that's how it started. And I, I hadn't studied neuroscience or any of the, you know, sciences related to color. I was just going with, I'm really intuitive. I know architecture and interiors and I know color. And that's what I did. And how do you see, you know, maybe if you can give me some case studies of Maybe let's start off with, because I work a lot with couples as psychotecture intervenes in these design challenges with couples and, and family systems. How, you know, if you could just give me a case study example of sure. negotiating different color preferences or, or how it helps a couple. Well, you know, our responses to color are built in our temperament. And it's really about how much stimuli we require both the amount and the length. So opposites attract. So most couples have different temperaments. And so they require different amounts of color. That's the single greatest reason why couples disagree on color. It's not about being giving or generous or kind. It's a primal response. So what I do, and I you know, studied how we learn in lots of aspects in my world. And I believe that we learn through play. I think it takes all the pressure off the table. You can really let go. So I create in-home you know, conditions so that everyone has a voice and I give them the options to explore. So it's really about self-discovery for most people. And I allow them to both discover what they like and in the process teach me. I don't tell them what colors. That's never what I do unless I'm asked to do that. But that's not my premise. And so, 
if everyone has a voice, there's no fighting, you know, and they, they do choose different colors, obviously, and they want it to mean different things or feel different ways. And that's fine. And it's my job as the designer, both color and space, spatially, to figure out how these different colors can become a complete thought. And so where are we going to put one partner's colors versus the other partner's colors? And how are we going to bridge that so you don't feel like you've fallen into the neighbor's house? That's the aesthetic skill and just making sure that everyone has a voice. And I think that really is key in couples work and couples therapy is what I'm learning more is that the voice obviously does need to be validated and heard, but it's, it's not always a negotiation or mediation. It's, it's even more of really loving what each person wants to bring to the table or loving the partner's color or really giving that generosity to a partner. I work with this Gottman Marriage Institute and, and they speak to it's not sacrificing. It's really saying, oh, that's your truth. You love that color. That's something that speaks to you. You know, let's honor that. So you give them that space. Yes. If both people have colors that represent who they are, then everybody's happy. And I love how when we, we've had a prior discussion, you talk about we think we know what color we want or what would look good on our walls based on what? Maybe we like that color green because it looks good with our eyes. Can you speak to this discovery process? I think that's what I love about your system is that it's not formulaic and that it's a discovery system. So can you speak to that a little more? Sure. You know, most people are either asked or taught that you have to have a favorite color. And so most people have that, which is great, but that doesn't mean that you're going to like to sit in a room in that color. And also when we're taught about color in the limited ways we're taught, it's about an object, something that's smaller than we are. So, you know, I love emerald green and believe me, it's beautiful on my hand. But I could not sit in an emerald green room. And I think that's a disconnect that people have where they love a color and that's fine. Often I'll say buy a sweater, you know, but it doesn't have anything to do or very little to do with how you want to feel in that space, what you want to accomplish in that space. Is it a resting space? Is it a productive space? There's so many variations to consider when creating environments. And colors are juxtaposed with other colors. You have variables of the furniture, of the people in it, or just the other rooms that you travel through to the next room and what that experience is. So it's allowing for, like, I think you gave an example. Somebody wanted blue, but it ended up being that there was a purple or another color in the blue. It wasn't necessarily the blue. Yeah, that was hilarious. This client, I'd had a lovely article written about my practice in the LA Times. And this client called right away. And she said, oh, I so believe in 
how you feel emotionally and how it's connected to color. And, you know, please come and do my home. And then when it got closer to the day, she said, oh, yes, I'd like my bedroom to be blue. And I thought, okay, that's pretty much the opposite of what I do, but I do that. You know, I'm about making you happy in whatever that means to you. So I ended up selecting like 100 shades of blue because I like to go really broad so you can really, really hone into exactly the shade that you want. So I do the color play with her. And I lay out all the colors from my paint collection just to have her get responses to color. And, and I really ask that people do their best to take off their cognitive hat and really try and feel the vibration of the color because that's really what's speaking to you. And so she was doing that. All of a sudden, she just said to me, can you see where my hand is? I said, yes. And she said, it's pink. I said, yes, it is. And she was like, how can that be? I said, well, actually, there's a lot of blue in that pink that you're selecting. And so she was just blown away. And that's my favorite part about turning people on to how they really, truly respond and finding what I like to call their primal colors. So needless to say, her bedroom is pink. Yeah, well, it's such it's such an exciting discovery process for somebody to really find their primal color, and that's and it's fun. I've made it fun. You know, it's not tedious. You're not slugging through anything. It's fun, (laughs) right? So it's not this you know scientific. You go to Sherwin Williams and you're like, oh my god, this board is so intimidating. It's like let's just play and in play therapy, you're accessing the unconscious. So the perfectionism isn't in the way the ego isn't in the way. All those boundaries are gone. Yeah. You're starting over. It's like a rebirth almost. Yeah. Color is a rebirth. And I guess that leads to the next question I was going to lead with was seeing color work in powerful ways, as I think you are attesting to. With different case studies, we we talk about how we have a mutual love of the art world and art. As I'm looking at the Nautilus, and I think it's so interesting, our color palette is kind of very similar in our offices and our rooms right now. (laughs) How, when you work with, let's say, an art collector, somebody who really loves their art pieces over, let's say, painting a room, how do you work? with that relationship as you do? Great question. And so as a designer, I would say 90% of my clients were art collectors. So this issue came up all the time. And some of them want to know more about it, and some of them don't. But I quietly do it anyway. So yes, there are certain colors that will enhance certain pieces of art. Well, that's great except you're sitting in that room too. So the goal is not only to have the art be enhanced, but to have you be at your balance and harmony rate where you're calm enough to enjoy what's really happening to you. There's nothing pulling on you. There's nothing like if you're in a space that is colored the opposite of what you need 
based on your temperament. You're going to be agitated. You're going to get headaches. You can feel nausea. You will not be comfortable or spend as much time as you could in those rooms. And you'll have no idea why. Right. So the point is for color to promote a good feeling mood. It's to promote a balance and harmony within. Balance and harmony in centering, grounding. It's like when we look at trauma. Understanding your primal colors. That's what it gives you. Right. And sometimes we're in our own way, you know, thinking we want a color to promote a certain effect when really maybe unconsciously or in our truth, we really could benefit from a yellow, even though I don't love yellow, maybe. Well, I think we get locked into what we are taught in some cases about color are associative responses, which is cognitive, right? So we're taught that red is about passion. Okay, can be, but red is also about aggression. So unless you know how you respond to that color, you're literally shooting in the dark. Right, so it's not as simple to say, I need a little more... I remember I had a feng shui woman come in and she said, well, your bathroom is your love house. (laughs) Paint it all red. And I would go into this bathroom and it was like, it was so aggressive. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't. (laughs) That's actually an issue I have with feng shui, even though I believe in the placement. I do believe in the ancient form of placement. But the issues with the color selection in feng shui is they're not personal. No. And that's counterintuitive to humanity. We're personal. Right. It was kind of projecting it in a formulaic way, and I didn't feel connected to it. So it wasn't really... It wasn't about you. That's why. It wasn't about me. Yeah. No, that's right. And so as you come in from your interior design world and from becoming a color expert in the interior design world, your key and the key, and I, you know, obviously speak to this as a psychotherapist is you really are connecting with the individual and it's allowing them to lead. And so I really appreciate how you work with color in that way. And obviously, being in the the time that we're in, it only seems on point to explore now that we are living in our homes and it's become our work, office, school grounds. How, just not to say, oh, these colors help with this situation, what are some, some ways that we could help viewers look at color in this time because it's accessible to us? I mean, it's similar, you know, I I know I keep going back to 9-11, but it's similar where we're isolated, we're afraid, and we're looking for some connection. And that can all be accomplished through color. But only if you understand how you respond and what you need so that it's suited to you. We also sort of touched on home offices because there's a lot more of those happening right now. And, you know, to be really thinking about, you know, how you want to feel in those spaces. You don't want 
it all to be the same. It's mundane. And whether it's a diet or whether it's a home, if you don't have variety, you're going to stray. And so it's also important to think about what's the purpose of these spaces? Like the way you want to feel in your bedroom, in your kitchen, it's probably not how you want to feel in your office. So it's important to think about, you know, sort of tease apart what I want to do here. What is the purpose of this space? What do I want to enhance? And how do I learn to do that based on who I am? Yeah, now that's really helpful, the diversity and how you're really going to be looking at this, living in this constantly. So the movement of it, you know, how you move through it and separate and have the boundaries within these different worlds that we're navigating at home. And I think that also goes into maybe collectively what our world is going through because it is a very hot time, both in our weather and our political climate and systemically, there's a lot in this palette of life right now. So when we look at helping people with color and mood, what I thought was fascinating, you brought up something about what we know about color is I don't know if it was the spectrum in black and white, you know, black is a shade, white is a neutral. You had some comment about what really is in the, the palette of the technicolor, you know, the vibration. There was something very interesting. We look at color as it's not as literal, I think, that what we think of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and that black and white has a different role. Or what is the role of black and white, maybe I should ask? Well, black is typically the absorption of all color. That's what it is, yeah. And white is the absence of color. But neither of those give spectral vibrations, which is what we need to stimulate us. What's going on when we experience a color is very little to do with what we're actually seeing. It's what we're feeling. And that, I think, is something that's not so widely shared, that people don't know that. Right. And does it hold a place, like when people want a white room and they just like that sense of cleanliness and it's zen and it's minimal, it's negative space, I guess. Does that hold a... hold a? In some way, that's true. And I, you know, I'm going to say something that's a bit controversial, but that's okay. Please do. You know, I mentioned Goethe, and, you know, he was really who I studied a great deal. And he would say, or write, (laughs) that white was the most isolating color you could paint your space. Now, I went to Parsons School of Design. We studied the Bauhaus. I came out of Parsons with five shades of white and a taupe. So I've come the full spectrum, pun intended. I love that pun. This was a tough sell for me to be where I am. Like taupe was my range, you know. (laughs) So I was like, that cannot be. And I didn't like just white. I like photographer's white, which is like as blue and cold as you can get, you know. 
And anyway, so I'm going through my, you know, science program and six months into it, it's like, you know what, I'm going to experiment. And I had a 25 foot long wall, which of course was photographer's plate. And I was like, I'm going to paint that tote. I'm going to see what's up with this. Because as designers, our spaces are our laboratories, you know. So anyway, so I had it painted taupe. And my sofa was perpendicular to the wall. And there was an end table. And I'm just sitting in this space. And I was on the 43rd floor with, you know, 50 linear feet of glass. So I'm just sort of daydreaming. And all of a sudden, I'm noticing how I'm sitting. And I noticed that I'm sort of leaning in towards the wall, which was never the case. When it was white, I was leaning away from the wall. And that's the moment I realized there's something to this. So the reason why Goethe said that white was the most isolating color is because color, one of its sole purposes throughout evolution is to stimulate us, to stimulate our minds to grow and develop. White does not. It leaves you in your own head. And I don't mean all whites. I'm not, because I still like white, you know, but even if you put in a couple drops of red in a white gallon of paint and the red is not perceptive to your eye, you're still going to feel it. Yeah, you're still getting some light. So I like to use what I call complex whites is what I call them. Okay, so a complex white, yeah. So you're still getting some vibration, some light, some connection. Yeah. Okay, so it's not so much because, yeah, my thinking it's saying, oh, white, we can just project onto it. We put onto it what we need to or... But actually, the opposite is happening. It's projecting onto you. Oh, my gosh. Jillian, that's fascinating. Isn't it? I mean, that's like, that is such a aha, psychotecture, color moment for me. Okay, it actually projects onto you. Okay, well, we can't allow for that. Yeah. Especially when I do children's rooms, this is where I sort of step a little bit out and push for to be some pigment because kids are in their rooms a lot and you don't want them to be going inward necessarily by all the time they're spending in their rooms. You want them engaged. You want them stimulated. You want them to be developing. And, you know, it doesn't have to be birthday party colors. Like I said, even by putting a few drops or, you know, maybe 20% of another pigment in there, it's going to do something. It's going to have a physiological response. That's really helpful to make that distinction. I'm learning so much. That's really fascinating. And as you talked about, because we both were familiar with this, the Bauhaus Getty exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so curious as to how Kandinsky and, you know, I guess maybe Paul Clay at that time. No, that was that around... I don't think that was, he wasn't maybe. I think he was, but maybe a little bit later, but. A little bit later. But the play of primary colors, secondary, you know, can you speak to that, how our famous artists of our time in the Bauhaus time influenced you or or what it can teach us? Yeah. What's interesting about that is that's more about color relationships and less about personality. 
But I find, because I love all those artists we just mentioned, Mendinsky and Clay, I love their work, Miro. But one of the things that draws me to them is because it's screaming who they are. So it's all about their temperament. So it's a fingerprint. Yeah. And there's such a musicality and a a dynamic. They're combined with the skill of understanding color relationships. The relationship. That's your talk. Right. So that brings it so much like we've been talking personality going into the relationship to color and the complexity of that is really exemplified in a Kandinsky piece of artwork. Thank you for explaining that. And, you know, just so we can let our viewers know how they can find you, like what would be just, you know, a simple, basic way that someone could say, oh, I'm locked down at home. I could really use an uplift here with really understanding who I am with color. How do we go from A to Z, you know, just simply in your methodology? My website is the Science of Color. My email is Jillian at the Science of Color, and I'm happy to talk to you about setting up a console. So they would just call you and then you would come to how, like maybe right now it's a little hard. Could you do a virtual or? Can't do virtual. Virtual and color do not mix because what we're really focusing on is your responses to the vibration. Right. And by doing it virtually, first of all, you're doing it through an LED, which is giving a blue cast to everything, but it's not allowing you to feel. It's allowing you to see, but it's not allowing you to feel. And it also has, there are twofold, two reasons it has to be on site is one, you need to be engaged. And two, it's very important for both, for all of us, to see the quality of light that's coming in your space. Because as we know, we can have a favorite color and it looks great in one space. And then you decide, oh, I'm going to paint this other, even if it's right next door, another room, and it looks awful, that's all because of the lighting. Right. So yes, the variable of lighting. So you really do need to go into this space, I'm sure can have your safety apparel on and masks. And then you would do the color play and start with the color cards. I've created what I call is a color word play quiz. Okay. And it's a list of adjectives on one side. And then on the other side, it's somewhat of their opposites because it's really hard for us to not use terms like, oh, I want to feel calm or I want to feel happy. But in order to be very specific, you need to be very specific. So these adjectives are very specific. And when you think about them, so for example, one choice is on one side it will say dramatic and on the other side it will say welcoming. These are two completely different experiences and I think it's, it's helpful for people to think about those differences in order to be able to articulate, yeah, I'd rather feel dramatic or I'd rather feel welcoming. So it gives people a way 
to, again, tell me, because I'm looking to give you the tools to tell me. And in the process, tell yourself, really. And what's important, what I'm hearing is this parallel, the parallels too, right? There's the parallel of the different colors, meaning, you know, maybe aggressive, calm, or like you could speak to introvert, extrovert. Well, I don't really go into that. But or not parallel, the, the binary, sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm all doing internally. That's not part of the conversation. They're just filling out, you know, yes, I like this. No, I don't want this. And I work, as I said, with a lot of couples. And I give them each their own color quiz. And it's fascinating because out of the 24 options, usually three or four are the same and the rest are different. And you don't have to pick all 24. You just pick the ones that speak to you. And so from there, we go into, I lay out all the actual colors. And I work in a range of 48 colors. And it doesn't mean I'm limited to using 48 colors. Those are just the colors to start you exploring your responses. And so they pick different cards and they're on three by five cards. They're the actual paint. And one of the things that makes my collection different is that it's got the absence of black in the pigment. And unless it's a gray color, it's the absence of gray. Because gray, while we're taught it is calming, actually is not. It's sapping our energy and it's like a veil over a color. So your responses are very subdued and not prevalent because you've sort of been subdued basically by the gray pigment. So these colors, I call that they're called clear colors which they use in Europe, and it literally means the absence of black or gray. And so your responses to the color are instantaneous. So this woman, the client who picked the pink, if I had just used traditional retail paints that have all been grayed down and they all use black because it's less expensive you know, to get where you're going, she wouldn't have come up with paint. It wouldn't have happened. So these colors are a tool for people to connect with. And I love with the colors, there's an open-endedness to that. And you being, as we're going to have to wrap up, but I, I love, Julian, that you're a New York transplant. You've got the rooting in the limestone of, you know, person's <laughs> design. And, and now you're out in Los Angeles spreading your wings and bringing the science and the groundedness of your design world and bringing this science of color and exploration of how we can become truer to ourselves and more connected. And your approach is you have the real thing going on. I can tell, you know, how you're, you really account for all the variables that need to be at play. And I'm just so thrilled about our synchronicity that we can make this collaboration happen today. I mean, really, I, I've known a lot of therapists, I've worked with a lot of therapists, but you don't always have the synergy, the connection. And I felt like from the moment we started speaking, it was there. And I hope it's like, you know, the Reese's peanut butter cup where it's chocolate and peanut butter and 
we're going to create great things together. (laughs) Yes. And I think it's just synergistic. I think we really see how to connect with people and really finding their true selves and the true authentic self. And that's all we want. And our environments can reveal that. And so to our journey and to continue this magic. And just lastly, real quickly, any golden nuggets of wisdom or anything you want to leave us with around the world of color and what could be a quick little tip? Yes. You know, I think that color is 80% of our visual perception. So it's not a sweater. And I believe that it's a missed opportunity to not understand how you relate to color in order to find your own you know, balance and harmony. So I would start thinking about, you know, first doing the cognitive part, because that's easiest, is to think about when you see a color, whether it's in a painting, whether it's in a sweater, whether it's in a shoe, to think about, wow, what do I think about that? And then to go a little bit further and like, how does that make me feel? And just start the self-discovery process. Yeah. And I think it's just that. It's really connecting in our world and seeing how we react and feel and connect to it. So really starting that mindfulness in the discovery process. Thank you so much, Jillian. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and we'll be giving your info out and I appreciate you being part of the Psychotecture podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. It's really been a pleasure. This is Psychotecture by Rachel Melvald with coaching, consultation, and psychotherapy offered virtually and in home throughout the Los Angeles greater area and nationally. We work to ease design challenges to create transformative habitats. Thank you, and we look forward to the next episode and your questions, so don't forget to subscribe.